Episode 159, Fractured Skulls, Terminator Trials, Alongside Monoxide. Well, we got a double review today for you guys. Two films that have nothing in common with each other. <laughs> what are you talking about? They have so much in common with each other. You got one that's uh, about a famous serial killer, and the other's about Richard Kuklinski. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> well, I guess I'll, we'll talk about that once we get to our film discussions. Killer Pinata Two. It's been long. It, it's been a long time coming, but we have finally got to it. We're going to get to that film review in a few short moments. We have a lot to discuss. It's going to be a pretty long episode, so we're going to get right to it. We got some new stories. Let's check, check it, it out. out. The first three Tomb Raider games are going to be remastered are coming to Nintendo Switch on February 14th. I know you're a Nintendo guy, so that's why I brought this up. I did see this. They announced some other stuff for it, too, like Luigi's Mansion 2, a new Peach game. They announced a couple of titles, but I know the big game that's coming up is uh, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, which is the new 2D Mario game that's coming out, I think, next month. And... I'm excited. I mean, it's Mario. It's going to be a decent game. But after Mario Odyssey, it's got a lot of shoes to fill. We know it's not going to be Odyssey. I would love to see a, a Super Mario Odyssey 2, especially since with Tears of the Kingdom, which was the sequel. It's like, where's Mario Odyssey 2? Could definitely use that right now. Do they all the Mario games fall like a storyline or do they all work as it as its own story? Mario is even more non-connected than Zelda. Zelda at least has that lore, being that it's it's got it's not really religious, but it could be identified as like a religion. Whereas Mario is it's realistically the same story being told over and over again, with some variations. I think the only one that was different was 3D World for the Nintendo Wii U. That one you can actually play as Peach and Toad. And the people that are captured are like these fairies. Actually, I take that back. Super Mario Brothers 2 was different because the original Super Mario Brothers 2 for the NES was actually literally identical to the first game, but it was just much harder levels, such as like wind uh, moving Mario back and forth, certain blocks that can actually kill you instead of help you, mushrooms that could kill you. And when um, the American Nintendo Association or whoever like tested it, they said to themselves, yo, this game is going to be way too hard for the American audiences, and plus it's way too much like the first game. You got to do something. So a game called Doki Doki Panic from Japan, they looked at it and went, you know what? We'll do that. And they reskinned it. And the Mario Brothers 2 that you see today was originally Doki Doki Panic. The the Shy Guys, the, the Birdos and all that stuff. That was originally for Doki Doki Panic. And it just became Mario. The only thing that never returned was Wart, the main villain. Uh, how, how did I get to Oh, the Mario connection. There's really no connection to most of the stories. It's just the same story we told. Yeah. And, and not only that, it, the problem with Shigeru Miyamoto... I love the man to death. He's produced some of the greatest games ever. Mm. My biggest beef with him is that he wants less story. He is so against... He claims he's not against story in his games. But his actions say otherwise. Because, especially for the Mario games, 
He's always trying to keep stories away from Mario because he wants it to be a simple experience. Well, now, he's very, he's very. It seems very old school. The very and it seems very NES. But there was way. no story. It was a very simple plot. You could say like in one sentence. Two Italian plumbers have to save the princess from an evil dragon that lives in a castle. That's fine and dandy, but they did prove with the first two Paper Mario games that it is possible to take Mario and produce a quality story. And Paper Mario was just the aesthetic. But the reason that it had, at least the first two games, the Thousand Year Door, and I forget the other title. Maybe it's just called Paper Mario, but they have the reputation, the positive reputation because of their story. It was just a very captivating RPG. But now with the new Paper Mario Brothers series, they focus less on story and just mo more on the aesthetic that it's paper. But today, it, Mario Odyssey, which was the latest Mario game prior to Wonder coming out, there was a tiny bit of story similar to that of Galaxy where Bowser just kidnaps Peach, but he's not just kidnapping her, he's gonna force her to marry him. And the aesthetic in that game was your hat can connect to things and you could become that object or that creature. So, I don't know, I mean, with Wonder, I think it's just going to be the same. The uh, the same old Mario's going to rescue Peach, which isn't that considered toxic masculinity nowadays that they're rescuing the princess? Yeah, can't have that. Or as Anita Sarkeesian uh, bluntly put it, oh, now women are just the prize to be won. They're just the object. Which uh, I think it was Thunderfoot who said it best when he uh, brought up the very last scene in uh, Jurassic Park where the T-Rex stops the Velociraptors from attacking everybody. He's like, by your logic, this fucking T-Rex is an asshole because he's protecting them and treating them like objects or whatever. Like, do you ever heard of human compassion? Anyways, uh, not to get off on a tangent, but it, your your original topic was the, uh, the Tomb Raider games. Well, yeah, just, well, because I was going to bring up the Mario games too, but you already brought that up. Let's just bring up the, the new releases. And the yeah. two movies are being remastered for uh, the Nintendo Switch. They've, they've been doing that quite a bit, remastering a lot of games within the last 10, 15 years. Yep. Um, so this is not a surprise to me. Uh, unfortunately, I never really played Tomb Raider. I tried the, the one that came out, what was it, 2015 for the PS3. And the gameplay-wise, it looked fun, but I just never got around to sinking my teeth into it. Uh, I would probably give these a chance just because, hey, what, what was the big fuss? I mean, it, I guess because it was Lara Croft. She was unique. She was a different character. And it's a video game character that women can dress up as. And the thing that used to always bug me about um, the last few years with the women's evolution in WWE, all the girls would always dress as like Wonder Woman. I'm like, you do know there's other women you could dress up as, like Lara Croft example or or samus or kill bill which they have done but yeah. I, I know they've done some anime characters as well and to be fair i do remember aj lee did dress up as katana which was really cool but she became my my crush for that but then again didn't velvet sky also dress up as katana those seem to be the obvious ones katana and all that but what about sonya blade yeah or, 
if you really want to win my heart, dress up as Nina Williams from Tekken. That that would definitely win my heart. In fact, what's her face? Dakota Kai kind of won my heart over because she was on uh, Up, Up, Down, Down. Xavier Woods is staying and her phone went off and it was the 16 or 18-bit version of the Tekken 2 theme. And literally she's playing and Xavier Woods is like, is, it that, is that the 8-bit version of Tekken 2? I was like, oh, Dakota Kai, you're my favorite now. Although Charlie kind of became my enemy when she called it uh, Legend of Ocarina of Time. <laughs> I was kind of like, yeah, you're right. My favorite game is Legend of Breath of the Wild. <laughs> In fact, when she said it, even Xavier Woods and Biggie had to have like a big gasp on them. But yeah, <laughs> clear as day, she never played video games growing up. Even though she's like my age. No, she's a little bit older than me. You mentioned old games. Recently on my PlayStation, I purchased uh, Siphon Filter, Twisted Metal. Oh, and the original director's cut of Resident Evil. All the the PS1 versions. So, I did play Siphon Filter, and at the time, it was a really creepy environmental game for me, because it came out, what, 97, 98? So, it was very creepy. It was, like, futuristic. That's one franchise I'm surprised that didn't survive. Because could you imagine like Siphon Filter if it was a franchise up until this day and seeing it on PS5? Um, it was kind of like it was like a spy game in a way. It kind of cashed in on the Bond movies, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, with Pierce Brosnan because yeah, this was like GoldenEye, um, Tomorrow Never Dies era of Bond. Yeah, and, and what was the other one? World's in, uh, uh, World is not enough. Yeah, yeah, that's the other one. Um, the other two, the Twisted Metal. Obviously, it's boomed in popularity because of the TV show. And uh, the third one, you said Resident Evil. My, my beef with the original Resident Evil, I think I pointed this out on the podcast and pointed it out to you, is the controls. Yeah. I just not get used to those controls. And uh, I hear that the, the remakes, well, you played the remakes. Uh, I heard the remakes kind of rectify this. Well, yeah, because the first Resident Evil remaster, it is literally, it's just like the first game. Like, every time you go to door... It stops, loads of shows a door loading, and then that, yeah. that can be time consuming. But well, with the second one and going forward, they got rid of that. That never bothered me. It was just the controls. I just, I can't stand the whole up and down, the guy turns around, this and the other. It's like, it, all right, it's one thing you want to limit my bullet count because that's the whole point of survival horror. But to limit my movement too and all that stuff, that's just, that's beyond cruel. But Resident Evil 4 was the one where I was like, okay, this this type of franchise can be fun for me, but I I will be the first to admit I'm a big fucking pussy when it comes to survival horror games. I just get real free. Even, I did talk about this, the darkness. It's not really a survival horror game, but there's one part where Jackie Estacado, after his girlfriend gets killed right in front of him by his uncle, he decides to kill himself. But the darkness that consumed him, it's like, no, your time's not ready yet so he has to put him in this like weird world before um bringing him back to to earth and and reality it's kind of like a, he, he's putting the puzzle back together trying to put him back together and all that stuff and in this world you're fighting like old world war one german nazis and they're like zombies but what makes it creepy is that you have to shoot at them and they'll go down They'll go down like the, the normal uh, mafia bosses that you kill, but they'll only be down for a certain amount of time because after you kill them, they get up. The only way to make sure they're permanently dead is if you eat their hearts. And the way they get up is similar to that of um, 
that girl from the ring when she comes out of the TV and she starts like like spazzing and all that stuff. They they kind of spaz when they get up, kind of mm. creepy. And uh, and the way they talk too is fucking weird. But I guess that's kind of survival horror element esque, and that kind of gives me the. I get it's more so because you're in panic mode, and I don't do well under panic, and I don't do well under jump scares. I will be the first to admit it. I just I feel like real real horror. Real talent is getting somebody scared just from the premise of what you're you're presenting. Like some of the old creepy pastas, those used to scare the shit out of me. But it doesn't take talent to come from behind and blow an air horn and, and surprise somebody. That's my take on it. But as I said, uh, you, you said you bought the original Resident Evil. I don't know if you played it yet. I have not played it yet, no. Hmm. I still haven't played the Twisted Metal yet either. I started playing Sudden Filter. I I gotta get used to the controls because it's so like, you know how you like you want to look up, but but then the character looks down, and then we press down, the character looks up, and I'm like, fuck, I gotta get used to that. Yeah. Uh, and I keep pressing the analog sticks, and you know during the PS1 era, the analog sticks came in much later. Well, they still got they like they still came in like during late PS1. Yeah, and the controls you just described is the same problem with Turok first-person shooter with dinosaurs mm -hmm. same exact thing you press down he goes up and if you press up he goes down my wife of care just went like this did the thumbs down she is not i guess she's not a fan of turok or that's control scheme i don't know if i could change the control setting i'm gonna see if i can but uh if i can that'd be great because i still gotta figure out how to how, how to change switch gun to set up i don't feel like going to the pause menu screen Go to the gun section. All right, I'm gonna use a taser, and I gotta keep going back and forth every time to switch a gun. There's gotta be an easier. I know there what there is an easier way, but I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, it's still a learning process. I'm still in a learning process right now. I think games should always have the option to change the controls to your liking. Most of them do. I do see that, but at least I think more of the recent games do. I don't know if the old school games do. I guess, but um. I know Virtual, if I'm correct, Virtual Fighter 2 definitely had a way you could change the controls. But, and that game came out, what, 95, 96? I forget what year, but yeah. Um, they should always offer a change of controls to your comfortability and sensitivity as well. I agree. Well, moving on. So, uh, 2023 has been quite an interesting year for Hollywood, movies-wise. So far, we got some films that have caused financial loss to Warner Brothers in 2023. That includes Magic Mike's Last Dance, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, The Flash, and Blue Beetle. Three out of four of those are superhero movies for the DC brand, and they have all been flops. Uh-huh. But... Hold on. They made another Magic Mike movie? They made. I think this is the third one or the fourth one. I I, I don't keep. I never seen any of those. Neither have I. But it's just like, how much can you get out of a franchise that's all about male Chippendale dancers? Well, not much. Seems like they got bored with this one. They were this. Fans were just not interested. Yeah, seriously. I never thought that Magic Mike would last that long. But despite those flops, Warner is still one of the most profitable studios of the year. Box office successes includes Barbie, Make to the Trench. Well, I guess people really like Jason Statham fighting sharks. 
the the Nun Two, Cree Three, and and a film that we reviewed on here, Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, I did not like that film. That film was so terrible. In fact, my father uh, talked to me the other day about. It. He says oh, I finally saw that Evil Dead movie. He says he says oh, I did not like it. You said this is your dad that said this. Yep, he did not like it either. Your dad is a great man. <laughs> yes, he, he 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 understands my frustration. I mean, yeah, because I I tried to tell this to my coworkers. They didn't understand what I was saying. They thought I was being ridiculous. But it's like I told them. Well, one of my points was is I can't even fucking I I, I can't even identify the gender of the fucking children. So, <laughs> I would that deter your enjoyment uh, because it's too much of a fucking distraction. That's why. If, if if your if your gender is that fucking confusing to me, and that is the main focal point of what I'm trying to figure out when watching the movie, and it's that distracting, then yes, you did a horrible job in making a story that coherent to where I'm not even focused on that. I'm focused on what fucking gender are they? Uh, from this point on, for every movie that's going to pull this shit, you may as well tell me your fucking pronouns right off the bat. Or at least when they uh, introduce the character or the actor's name, make sure they have their pronouns. If it's somebody from fucking Texas, they better have the pronouns he and ha. Or Alamo. That's Pee Wee Herman's. <laughs> Alamo and the basement. I remember the Alamo. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, funny you mentioned that. I think uh, Anthony vs. Evil Dead Mario, for, I remember we were doing Chill and Kill, and he was hyping this movie up. Oh, it's going to be an apartment, you know, it's going to be great. And then when I asked him about it, he says, you know, I really wasn't into it. I was like, wow, that's surprising. Because he's a big Evil Dead guy. And he, was not, he wasn't even in the, into the last one, Evil Dead Rise. But what's crazy about that, that film was, I think, was the most successful film of the entire franchise. And it made profit, so... I I mean they're, they're probably gonna make another one. That's unfortunate because it's nowhere near the original three. It's not even as good as the the television show that they did. Um, I I guess it's I don't know if it's slightly better or slightly worse than the two. Actually, no, I would say it's worse than the 2013 version. That's the only one we haven't reviewed yet. At least of the Evil Dead movies is the remake. Yeah. More we'll that. Like and, and as far as the other movies that you just mentioned, like Barbie, um, I had no intentions of seeing it. My wife's not a big Barbie person, so it's not like she's going to drag me to go see it. You know, I'll be like, oh, we're going to go see Barbie. Like, I see that. I'm a 14-year-old girl. I want to go see Barbie. Yeah. Barbie really focuses on women's issues. Real women's issues. I mean, it's so empowering. Yeah, okay. My toxic masculinity can't take this shit anymore. Well, we mentioned Warner Brothers. How about the Walt Disney Company? Disney? Disney. Okay. <laughs> what, what did Disney do this time? Well, movies that have caused financial loss to Disney in 2023. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Oh, what a fucking surprise. No, l let me take a quote from M. Night Shyamalan. What a twist. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny ends its theatrical run with $382 million globally. The movie carried a heavy budget of $375 million, marketing included, and is one of the biggest flops of the year. Of the year? Yep. You're not, uh, not of all time? All time? I don't know. That's I have to uh, look that one up. Hold on. You said it generated what? $382 million. 
Yep. And you said that for it to even see profit, it had to at least generate a billion. Yeah, or at least, yeah, at least over 900 million easily. Yo, yeah. seriously, that's 700 million away from the mark that they needed just to see a small profit. Just to see something. Just to see something. That's terrible. That's nearly a billion dollars that they didn't generate from this movie. So you can clearly tell who's the, the girl that was playing the new Indiana Jones? I don't know. I forget her name. Uh, uh, there you go. That rests my case. Other flops include Ant-Man the Wasp, Quantumania, and The Haunted Mansion. Well, yeah. The Haunted Mansion was just unasked for, and Ant-Man, I, I can't really speak to that. Yeah. Um, some people mentioned, well, what about The Little Mermaid and uh, Elemental, which was the Pixar film? Um, Elemental was made on a budget of $200 million and it made back almost 500 So, in a way, it's not a flop, per se. I guess you could say it's a sleeper hit. You can make the same argument with Little Mermaid. Uh-huh. So, I mean, but still, they're nothing to write home about, money-wise, but they just... They didn't do as bad as Indiana Jones because so much money, so much more money went into that movie than those two. And how, well, hold up, what was the budget and box office for Little Mermaid? Elemental okay. budget of two hundred million, made back four hundred eighty-four worldwide. Okay. Little Mermaid between two hundred fifty to two sixty-five million, made back five sixty-nine. Okay, so one movie made two hundred million back, and the other one made three hundred million back. That's still not enough to fill the gap that Indiana Jones needed to make a profit. Yes. Indiana Jones needed seven hundred million more dollars to make it, and that only made five. So, holy Jesus, man! Holy Jesus! Kathleen Kennedy, you what, this this is a real big fuck up. Yeah, there's a chant that wrestling fans do when somebody botches. It's you fucked up. You fucked up. Definitely she did. And they should reconsider her business practices going forward. If she's going to keep making big budget films and they're going to generate abysmal profits. I mean, like, how, how do you how, how do you keep someone on board like that after, after they fucked up Star Wars? Star Wars was at one point the biggest movie franchise in the world. Yeah. With three films. And now they lost their title. Yeah. Star Wars is now a TV brand because all they do, I mean, is Disney Plus. Well, yeah, because they're a lot of it has to do with retconning a lot of stuff that was established in Star Wars for decades. And uh oversaturation. Yeah. It's that's what killed Star Wars, in my opinion. And I think the original plan was that they were going to release a new Star Wars movie every year. It would be, let's say, Star Wars episode blah, then a Star Wars story of whatever, and then the next episode, and then another Star Wars story, and then another episode, and then that's how they were going to do it. So even if the films were quality films, I think you still would have had a burnout. It probably wouldn't have killed the franchise as badly as it did. As fast as it did, yeah. Yeah, because the, the quality obviously uh, expedited the downfall. Because it wasn't just 
that it was the constant disrespect of the OG material. The constant OG material that literally, I think it was in uh, Last Jedi where something happened in that movie where it completely killed the whole entire premise of the movie franchise to where if somebody can do some sort of method, it had something to do with the transporting from one area to another. And when they did it, they, they were able to go through a fucking spaceship or some shit. Yeah, when they travel at light speed, yeah. Yeah, and in the original series, it was never established as that, which would explain why nobody would ever commit to that to kill other people. But when they did it there, it was like, well, then what was the point in the other films? Yeah, so like, why, why did they? Why did the Rebels do that in episode four or, or any of the originals? Exactly. So it's just shit like that makes no fun. It, it, it's in the same vein of... Let me put it to you like this, and this is something that happens very rarely, but it's just like, why doesn't common sense ever trickle? I think it was Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. They were always feuding. But at one time, Ric Flair was teaming with Dusty Rhodes. And at some point, they got into a steel cage and they had to fight a team or whatever. And right as the cage door closed and as soon as the bell rang, Ric Flair turned on Dusty Rhodes right then and there. Nowadays, the wrestling trope is they wrestle for a bit, then Ric Flair turns heel. It's like, well, if you're going to fucking turn heel, why not just do it right away? Hey, why even wait and, and get beat up by the other people that are going to help you? May as well, you already got him there. Yeah, you got him where you want. Just, yeah, just turn him. Don't exhaust yourself. And then when you turn on him, you know, it's... You're, you don't have as much strength in you as you would have had, you know, prior to the bell. Exactly. It's in that same vein. It's, But this is worse because Star Wars, as you said, was a big franchise and shit like that, along with all the other stuff. Especially the inconsistency of Luke Skywalker's character, where the dude saw good in his father, who was the worst man on the face of the earth because of what he did. He literally was the Dark Lord at this point, destroying all humanity. And he still saw good in him. And eventually, Darth Vader's last thing that he does right before he dies is something good. He finally re goes back into that Anakin Skywalker of his. And that's what made Luke Skywalker such a compelling character, was that no matter what you threw into his face, he always saw the good in people. But then, as soon as you get to The Last Jedi, all of a sudden, all that humanity is gone because Kylo Ren, he saw some of his father, the same father that he was able to redeem into him. And he's like, there's no hope. So, we had Star Wars A New Hope. Why didn't you just call this one Star Wars No Hope? <laughs> that's what it, there's no hope for this franchise anymore because of no. what you did. Yeah. I, I'm rendered mute at this point. And it's not like you could just attribute this to, like, ah, oh, it's just a side movie. These were the main movies. Like, these are always going to be labeled as the main movies. These aren't going to be, like, fan fictions or whatever. These were the main movies, along with Phantom Menace, uh, Attack of the Clones, uh, Revenge of the Sith, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. 
it's in that same vein. So you can't retcon these things. Yeah, that's uh, that's where Star Wars is now. That's where that's the whole the massive hole that uh, Disney and Lucasfilm is in. A hole I don't see them digging themselves out anytime soon unless they make the sale. I hope they sell to somebody non-woke. You know what? Where the fuck are you, Elon Musk? You got enough money. Buy Disney. <laughs> he can't buy everything. Dude, he bought fucking Twitter and renamed it X. Maybe he'll buy Disney and call it uh, W or some shit. He should, he should buy Bud Light and, and sell X beer. Oh, man, that would be great. Yeah, black yeah. beer cans with the letter X on them. X beer. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Toxic masculinity in one bottle. Well, I guess we'll talk about the trailer first. Uh, a new Goosebumps trailer has dropped, and a new Goosebumps series is going to be releasing exclusively on Disney Plus on Friday the 13th. Uh. And it stars Justin Long. God damn that guy. We always see that guy. Yeah, unfortunately, he's in more bad films than he is good, which sucks because I do like his acting. But he's in more bad films than good films that I've seen him in. Like, I did not like him in Jeepers Creepers. I sure as hell did not like Barbarian. <laughs> I, I did like him in Tusk. And uh, Dodgeball was okay. Uh, he was in Galaxy Quest. That was one of his first roles. Uh-huh. Um, I liked him in uh, Die Hard 4. Him and Bruce Willis worked off each other pretty well. I know he's done a lot of Kevin Smith movies. You already mentioned Tusk. Um, yeah, and now he's in this. Um... I don't know what to think of this, honestly. Um, it looks very... Well, let me say this. I was going to compare it to our, Are You Afraid of the Dark? But even in the 90s, Afraid of the, Are You Afraid of the Dark came out first. And in a way, it is very similar to the Goosebumps series. Because they're both anthology series. They're both made for kids. And they both were filmed in Canada. So they recycled a lot of the same kids. Yeah, I mean, well, because Goosebumps started as a book series. Yes, that is true. But when I watched this trailer, it felt like it was one big story. Yeah, it's not. It is not an anthology series. So then it brought me back to the point. Is this going to be like uh, American Horror Story, where each season would be focused on a story? It seems it, that's the direction they're going. But if it is a story, is it a story based on one of the books, or is it a brand new story just with the Goosebumps title? I have there's there's two ways I look at it. It's either based on one of the books. I saw the camera. I I'm thinking that's gonna maybe they're gonna do say cheese and die. Mm -hmm. Or it's an original story and they're gonna incorporate elements from all all the stories from the books into this series, kind of like how they did with the movie with the uh, Jack Black. You see, you have a camera here, and then next scene you get, they're gonna dig up Slappy or something. Yeah. I was going to say, like, you can't do Goosebumps series without Slappy. He's like the most iconic thing about the whole entire series. Matter of fact, I know I have the Slappy, the Living Dummy head plush somewhere. That was something I've been having for like 30 years. So it's iconic with me. But yeah, suffice it to say, he's iconic along with the Haunted Mask. Um... Yeah, you, you got to do something with that. But based on the trailer, just it didn't wow me, but it was it was what it was. I don't think it's going to be horrible. But if yeah, it's probably probably going to be similar to even to the new revamped "Are You Afraid of the Dark" that Nickelodeon did a couple years ago, which I'm not sure if they're still doing it. 
I don't know if Kobe put a stop to that, or I don't know what's going on with that. The thing that fears me is that it's Disney Plus. So Disney's going to probably add its woke bullshit to it. I'm getting quite sick and tired of watching woke bullshit. Yeah, I, I don't know how the... Well, I mean, it's just a trail. I'm not sure how they're going to incorporate their wokeness into Goosebumps. I mean, to a horror series like this. I well, don't know. They figured out a way in Star Wars to add some woke bullshit in there. Yeah, they'll probably, yeah. Who knows? Because on Netflix right now, they removed most of the episodes on the, on the platform. Hmm. Only thing that's, I mean, Goosebumps is still on there. Just only like Welcome, only only like the like part one and part twos, like Welcome to Dead House, Stay Out of the Basement, uh, Night of Living Dummy. Mm-hmm. They, it's weird because they removed Horrorland on there too. So th- so in total, you may only have like twelve episodes. Of those twelve, of those twelve, six of them are like part one and part two. So really, six episodes split into two parts. Yeah. I- I don't know. Disney's always been really weird when it comes to their release. They'll, they'll have like a movie that's out on sale, and then they'll promote it on the commercial that you better get it while it's on sale because otherwise it'll be locked in the Disney vault forever. And then for a long time, you can't purchase that film, and then they'll re-release it for a new platform or something and do the same shit there, rinse and repeat. Unless it's like an anniversary edition or something. Something. So, will I check it out? I guess. I don't know if I'm going to check it out the day off of its release, but I'll get around to it. Yeah. I, I'm just I'm a little bit skeptical. Well, last but not least, before we get to our review, the writer Strike. You're up to bat, Miss Drew Barrymore. Well, we yeah. mentioned in the last episode, she was bringing back her talk show without the writers. And that didn't really go too well with a lot of people. So, she did her show, and then I sent you the video of her apology of sorts. Yeah. I, and too long after she posted that video, she removed it. I got very bored with it by the third minute. <laughs> it just felt repetitive. So, you said that they weren't having it, and then she removed it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is what I was going to say to you off the uh, podcast until you said we were going to talk about this a while back we were talking about this and, and talking about how people say oh no this is not cancel culture it's called accountability culture we're just holding people accountable this that and the other and I argued no it's cancel culture and I, I'm factually telling you it's cancel culture because factually you're not going to forgive this person so in this case scenario whether you're on the side of the writers or not is not the point. The point is, is that she goes on video, she sends an apology, four minutes, trying to hold herself responsible for it, and what happens? They don't forgive her. They still won't accept her apology. They still won't sit there and be like, okay, maybe she made a mistake. No, they still give her grief because she did what they didn't like, and they don't want to forgive her, and so therefore, she removed it. This is why I say this is cancel culture. It is not accountability culture. It's factually not accountability culture. Because if it was, a lot of the heroes that you guys hate on, you would forgive them as soon as they apologize. This is why, this type of shit is why you've got people like fucking Donald Trump. So you have nobody to blame but yourselves. You know, and 
it's weird because with well, I don't know, it's weird, but when they were doing the taping for the Drew Barrymore show, they told everyone like, if you have any pins or wearing anything that resembles a strike, either take your shirt off or you know, do we'll pull an AEW, <laughs> wear your shirt inside out. Hmm. Well, they weren't having any of that when they were filming the, the television, the TV taping of the show. But it's like, I don't know, because I'm in the middle because Bill Maher, he's also doing his, he's bringing his show back as well without the writers. Right. So it's like, do you, because I, I understand why they're doing it, because at the same time, it's still, because what about everybody else? What about the cameraman? What about the, the TV crew behind the scenes? I, I really have nothing to do with the strike, but are still trying to make a living. With her and Bill Maher doing the show, at least they're still working. Right. So there's that as well. So, like, you know, what do you say to them? Right. They don't have a stake. Okay. So, going back to, to wrestling talk, there's always that thought of, could wrestling ever have a union? Where the boys can get health care and all this stuff, or the girls, now the girls are involved... And a lot of people will tell you, no, it'll never happen. A union will never happen. Because for a union to happen, you need the top, top, top guy to come and defend you. And be like, yeah, I'm not going to work until we have a union or this, that, and the other. Why would the fucking top guy who's making a bootload buck of fucking money is going to give all that up and possibly never make that type of money again? By risking the chance of joining the little people over there for their union. So when you don't have a stake in the battle or if you're not suffering, it goes back to that same vein of all those fucking people during the pandemic who were telling everybody, no, 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 don't go to work, stay home, be locked in your fucking homes and don't experience any sort of life whatsoever. Meanwhile, you still got to pay rent. You, st- I mean, granted, they did have a uh, no eviction policy. But you still needed to make money to fucking feed yourself. Or to be able to pay some bills. Such as water bills, electric bills, etc. You still need to make money somehow. Or if you were a company that rented out certain machinery that you still needed to pay off. That wasn't going to be excused. You still needed to bear the the fucking responsibility of paying for that shit. And you got these people saying, no, 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 stay home. And those people that are telling you stay home, mask up, don't come to work, are the people that didn't lose anything during the pandemic. The only thing that was different was they were working from home instead of their studios. But they were still making the same amount of money. In fact, some companies like Amazon, Walmart, and all that were making way more money during the pandemic. So, of course, they weren't going to stand up for you little people who needed to make money to, to survive. Fuck you people. So, it sounds like I'm, I'm against Bill Maher and, and Drew Barrymore, but I, I'm like with you. I... I really don't have a stake in this battle it just it gnawed at me when you told me that the the people who heard her apology didn't want to hear it because i watched uh, granted i didn't watch the last minute of it but from what you tell me they just weren't having it they weren't going to forgive her they weren't going to even entertain if any sort of apology whatsoever from her so it goes back to what i say don't apologize for your fucking actions at this point own up to them 
Yeah, yeah, I did. So the fuck what? You think she'll make an apology video for that apology video? Apologies, apologizing for that first apology video? If it's as long and as boring as that one was, <laughs> possibly. I mean, obviously, she was doing. She made that video to try to stay face, and of course, you know, they weren't well, happy. That may be a possibility. It may be. All I'm saying is this: is that this isn't the first time that you hear people apologize, and it, it's not like when um, when Hulk Hogan was coming back to WWE after he had that uh, scandal where he said the N-word in that sex tape, which I know I shouldn't even be thinking about, but what led to you talking about, uh, I think we're all a little bit racist, and then talking about how your your daughter's going to date a, a eight-foot-tall black man, but you said the N-word. And then that goes from that to you fucking your best friend's wife. I still don't get the collation there, but besides the point. When he came back, the thing that rubbed some of the wrestlers the wrong way were the fact that he didn't say, yeah, I did what I said was wrong. Don't ever say what I say again. He went into a whole rant of watch what you say because people could be filming you. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not really an apology. That's more like, yeah, you better watch what you say or else it's old. I mean, he's not wrong. Not necessarily wrong because, yes, there's so many different devices out there now that could be filmed. That's why you got to watch what you do and watch what you say, because now if you go out in public and, and you do anything, somebody's willing to pull their phone out and just film the whole thing. Literally, just to show how crazy this world is, there was a video of somebody, a girl who was ran over by a fucking bus. And it's pretty graphic, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Somebody pulls out their phone, is filming it, and there's a woman walking right past it, just like, huh? Not my problem. Fucking crazy world we live in nowadays. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I don't know. Poor Drew Barrymore. Yeah, we'll see how they all react to Bill Maher whenever he films his show. Probably not as bad as when he made that comment about how he blames Stan Lee for the pussification of males in today's society. <laughs> uh, that pissed off a lot of people. You know, you meant I mentioned uh, I saw something on Twitter. Someone I, can, I I mean I wish I would know who said it, but someone said that uh, Donald Trump ruined comedy. Not wow. not him physically, but how I guess how society how when he I guess when he became the president, it seemed like everyone was making jokes on Donald Trump. Okay. And, and then I saw someone else reply, no, it said Donald Trump didn't ruin comedy. Politics ruined comedy. Because it seemed like all the jokes were anti-Trump. And it was just basically like he was like the butt of the joke. And then it just got so old to the point everyone's material was on Donald Trump. And it just didn't feel original anymore, I guess. I guess that's, the, that's what the argument was. Not, not, they're not necessarily blaming Trump. I guess they're blaming how everyone reacted to Trump winning. In a way, you can make that argument because I was going to say I, comedy was dying before Trump ran because political correctness is what caused Trump to get the momentum that he had because political correctness was being an issue within the last five years prior to him running. Like you started to see the little trinklets within the last five, six, seven years 
of political correctness starting to really trickle down in all forms of media. And so Trump was kind of like that guy. He was like the, the voice of the voiceless of all the people that wanted to say what he said but couldn't because they would get banished. Yeah, and when he won, it was like all these people just tried their best to knock him down. And it, like, it's almost like a reverse effect in a way with his mugshot currently and the whole um, controversy of him getting arrested and all these comedians constantly making him the button of a joke. Mortal Kombat making Shao Kahn like Donald Trump and shit like that. It kind of works against them because it's only further validating Trump's point, which was the line that he, I don't know if he said it outright. I know it's been said in memes involving his face, but it basically is the line of they're not after me. They're after you. I'm just in their way. And it's kind of like you're starting to see it now. A lot of the things that he's saying, as crazy and as crass as he comes out and, and says it, it's starting to come into fruition. So, yeah, I mean, it's all, I guess you could put it like this. You ever know that one person where, say they're like the, the, the bully of the school, and one day, the nerd or whatever, the unsuspecting kid actually beats their ass in a fight. And then that nerd tries to mind their own business. But now that bully is constantly calling him out. Kind of like, um, or, or better yet, we'll, we'll use a movie reference. Apollo Creed. Remember in the first movie, he's like, he's bravado. He's all cool and, and cocky. He's, he's the showman. And then he decides, oh, I'm going to give this Rocky Balboa a chance because he couldn't get his uh, original guy. So he gets this Rocky Balboa chance. He thinks it's going to be a quick and easy fight. Two, three rounds, whatever the fuck. He's going to give him like one or two rounds and then he's going to be easy peasy. Come to find out Rocky Balboa, his greatest defense is his fucking skull. He just absorbs the punches and just keeps going. But then by the second movie, even though Apollo won the fight, his ego was shattered. Because he didn't beat this fucking guy. So now the whole movie is centered around him having a nervous breakdown because he didn't beat this guy. And so therefore, he's got to go through all these lengths to call him out and, and, and get him to a second fight so that he can beat him. I think it was the same thing with all these comedians and all these people who went out of their way to support Hillary Clinton and wreck on Donald Trump for running because, let's face it, he wasn't the only celebrity or, or shit like that to run for president. Roseanne Barr ran in 2012. Al Sharpton's ran a couple times and never came close. So they figured, wow, this crazy Donald Trump guy, he's running. And then he fucking wins. Now their egos are shattered because you have people like George Clooney that said, no, there's never going to be a Donald Trump for president. And then you got Nancy Pelosi saying, oh, take that to the bank. He'll never become president. Then you got Tom Hanks going out there saying that eh, when pigs fly out of my ass, that's when he'll become president. All these fucking people. And then he fucking became president. And they're, they're like, oh, my God, we were wrong. Rather than admitting that we were wrong, let's just shit on him constantly and ridicule him for having two scoops of ice cream and drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> what more can you say? Are you are you in the mood? Uh, sure. Why not? To wax some pinatas? Wax on or wax them off? There was a bit of that in this movie. 
I guess we'll get to it. Oh, yes. Here we are. The long-awaited sequel. The long-awaited sequel. Bride of the Killer Pinata. Angry Mule Productions. Not what I expected. A sequel to the horror comedy beloved by hundreds. Ten years after finally defeating Killer Pinata, Lindsay Goodman finds herself struggling with domestic life in the suburbs. When a new Pinata arrives looking for help, the Killer Pinata wakes, mentoring her in his murderous ways and raining hell down on the suburbs. With her family of the crosshairs, Lindsay must rally the old crew one last time to send the killer pinata back to hell for good. There was better production for this film than the first one. Way better production. The artwork was better. They gave the pinatas more movement. They kind of gave the pinatas a voice. And, uh, yeah. It was a very interesting premise that I did not expect. But this is what we got. <sighs> Did you want to make mention of anything before I go into the plot? Uh, you want to try pronouncing the director's last name? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's all I got. I'll just say that he is—he uh, did direct the first film, if I'm correct. Yes. All right. Whatever your last name is, I'm sorry that I can't pronounce your last name, but you are a great man for at least the first film. Um, uh oh. He does have my name. You got you got the shirt. I do have the shirt. Yes. Matter of fact, it was quite funny because I wanted to make a shirt, so I went and custom make, it, and then they said, "Oh, we can't make the shirt because it's a licensed product." Then I went to kill a pinata's website, and they're like, "Oh, well, then I'll just buy it from them." I'd rather I'd rather support them than make it my own. But anyways, suffice to say. So as you said, this is following the events of the first film uh but it, it it was quite weird because the way that the movie starts it's kind of like a montage and they show some clips in between where apparently after the events of the first film that pinata keeps coming back and fighting so i'm like is this the third film and there was a second film that i was unaware of i said the same thing i'm like wait a minute is this a sequel or is this like a third of a trilogy and i'm just not aware of the second movie yeah I remember reading at one point, I guess when they were making the second one, the original title was called Killer Pinata More of Them or something. And maybe that's what that was? The part where they were going to originally go with the second film, there's just going to be more of them? Mm -hmm. Maybe they did start filming that before they changed it to Bride. And I figured let that be the focus of the film, but we've already shot all this, so we'll just use it as like almost like an opening montage. Yeah, I do remember reading they wanted Ron Jeremy in the first film why they didn't get him i don't know i think he was like jail. <laughs> i thought this was prior to him going to jail oh maybe i'm talking about the first film not this one yeah uh, my time i could be off anyways so the, the film yeah she she gets involved in a relationship with another woman and they adopt a child together and they try to live a cozy life but the gay community the gay community the gay community. But luckily enough, this is not a woke film. So it, it's not really woke. They don't really jam it in your face. But going back, um, yeah, they have the relationship. They have a child. But now they want to live a placid life because now the pinata, after many years of fighting, it just 
gave up or some shit. I stopped fighting. I, nobody knows why. It just like gave up. So she locked it in a box. And I don't know if you guys know the uh, urban legend of that haunted Annabelle doll that that's located in one of those museums. But it's a cursed doll that if you mess with it, some shit could happen. They basically locked it up in the same vein as that doll. Um, so anyways. So she tries to live this placid life. It's a very boring life. But meanwhile, while she's trying to live this boring life with this woman that she's now uh, had to endure because now the pinata is no longer alive. There's a group of people that want to get the pinata, but we'll get to that. So while trying to live this placid life, I think this is supposed to take place around July 4th, Independence Day. So they go visit uh, a couple, what was his name, Jimmy and all that. He's supposed to be like an obnoxious, uh, flamboyant gay dude, I guess. Not really gay because he's married. Go over there and have some drinks. Meanwhile, they have a fucking baby. So they're, they're about to drink to their heart's contempt. Uh, but also there was a scene in the beginning of the film where she is taking care of the baby, the main girl from the first film. And this weird dude comes in saying that she's tr he's trying to install like a, a video camera for the doorbell or some shit and then steals a key i guess this is supposed to be the signing of the fact that a group is going to come and try and take the pinata which ends up happening because yeah, he, look, he looked like jerry lewis from the original nutty professor it seemed like that's what he was the actor was trying to go for performance wise and look wise he had the teeth, he had the, the glasses out. Yeah, the thing is, you don't ever see him again. He just, he does his thing and then that's it. Yeah, I think I think he does appear again one other time in the movie. Uh, could be if, if he does, it was very insignificant. Yeah. So, anyways, she goes to her friend's house, they have this little party, this, that, and the other. Okay, cool. Well, this group of people come in to, to go ahead and try and get uh to steal the pinata but meanwhile while everybody is gone and the baby is asleep in her crib there's another pinata in her room and it's a unicorn pinata with no eyes kind of weird like at first you're like why is her eyes completely closed whatever but this pinata's got a voice and this pinata decides to sleep with the baby whatever but Keep in mind, this pinata gets up and goes downstairs and then sees the killer pinata in the glass and is trying to break it out or whatever, but notices that it's not really doing anything. And then that's when these burglars come in. One guy that looks like uh, Marilyn Manson comes in. And then he's got one guy that looked like Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist, and some other dude. And they're fucking around. They want to get this pinata. They're like, oh, yeah, we got two of them. And while he's on the phone, he's like, uh, kill the other pinata, just slaughter it, whatever. Because now all of a sudden, having a killer pinata is just a normal thing around this place. Apparently, they know that this pinata is haunted. And it's just a common theme, I guess, that, that pinatas are just alive and are killing people. And this particular pinata killed thousands. Whatever. Sure. And yeah. Anywho, so they they try to grab the pinata, the 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 unicorn pinata that is, 
and they're about to kill it until the original pinata comes to life and so the original pinata tackles one of the guys and completely rips his face off completely rips his face off this reminded me of that scene i i, I don't think we reviewed this movie uh hostile part three yes yeah. i was gonna say i think they did that one of the hostile movies yeah it was it was a pretty fucked up scene but anyways rips off his face and all that stuff and then he jerks him off and then takes his dick rips it off and throws it to the guy's mouth and it literally goes through the guy's mouth and through his head <laughs> he, jerked, he jerked the guy and ripped his yeah. that's probably my favorite part of the movie jerked it off yeah and then the, the marilyn manson guy he's running around and then the unicorn pinata sticks its horn through his head and kills him all right so now the pinatas actually have dialogue together i mean they don't speak english it's subtitled but and the pinatas in this movie they actually move their arms and legs there's more movement to them as opposed to the first movie where it was really cheaply made so anyways the main girl meets up with this guy named fred and fred is not really taking too kind to her because apparently one of his uh companions was killed by the pinata and wants her to like go away cool so what else happened so eventually the unicorn pinata it's it's established she does not want to be a killer she wants to be a loving pinata so she, from the rest of the movie she wants to be called lp well killer pinata is called kp killer pinata wants to murder everybody that's all he wants to do and yeah. she doesn't want to kill anybody she only wants to kill people that are bad i guess because she's so deluded or whatever Blood, yeah. Blood. <laughs> Number. Step one, lock up. Step two, yeah. blood. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think if there was anything that happened in between. It was mostly just the girls having arguments, the the lesbian women. Uh, Fred not taking too kindly to him. We come to find out that Fred is a cop, quote unquote. Keep that in mind. Um there's a part where they enter the house of the married couple that was celebrating the independence day they try to go after them they run into the garage or and stuff in the oh no before that they were having an argument about cheating on each other and he said that they both wanted a divorce and then that's when one of the pinatas the the unicorn one stabs a dude in the leg he runs into the garage um and his wife is like running all around. He gets into the garage, and as soon as he opens the garage, thinking that the pinata's outside, he's got garden shears and accidentally stabs his wife in the fucking stomach. Our guts and, fall out, and then yeah, guts fell out. Yeah, and then she said something like, uh, "I want to, I want to see you in hell," or whatever the fuck she said. I, I don't fucking remember, but it was, it was what it was. So. um what was it so he runs away and and tells the lesbian women that yo this pinata is out there and now they can go back to the life because it was established she basically established the fact that her life has been boring as hell without the pinata 
she feels like there's no excitement because it's been 10 years since that pinata last did anything and i forgot to mention this too the guys from the that tried to steal the pinata the Marilyn manson guy the way they were able to get in the place and find out where it was was the store clerk from the first movie the store clerk apparently had uh information about where this thing was so there's that uh then the unicorn pinata is sitting at like a bench and is having a moment and she's like i now know how i died and it shows a flashback of this one woman who's living by herself she's <clears throat> getting a, a scholarship or she's about to go to a college of her choosing she orders thai food eats it goes to sleep and then some dude in a red mask breaks into her house and says i love your eyes and then basically uh cuts her eyes out and kills her but while all that was going on she had this unicorn pinata in her room and i guess her blood like went into the pinata and and she ran out and fuck it we'll just go with that Makes sense. At least they do explain her origins. Instead. Yeah, at least they gave something, even though I... Whatever. It's it, it, I mean, it's, it's a goofy movie. It's not going to make much sense, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> then the two pinatas make out, whatever. So now the two girls are, are, are hyping themselves up. They're getting ready to kill. Because now they're, they're getting into the motion of things. And they leave their daughter with a babysitter. <clears throat> and the babysitter... Um, was supposed to go out on a date and then her boyfriend last minute decides oh, I'm going to bring my cousin and his cousin comes and he's much older than them and he's wearing a shirt that says no mufflers <laughs> the rap- goofiest black wig yes it was clearly a fucking wig um, so anyways they're trying to have a party and then of course the pinatas kill all of them um <clears throat> There's that one point where the uh, the the one dude, the the Jimmy guy, uh, gets killed by one of the girls because one of the pinatas is able to possess her like a fucking puppet. So there's that, and then when they are trying to protect the daughter, they get Fred, the cop, the black dude from the beginning of the film that doesn't like them because of the whole pinata thing. We then eventually establish that he was the red mask guy that killed that girl because he said I like your eyes in the same way that one dude said and that's when the unicorn pinata was looking through the window and seeing it saying that's the guy who killed me so now we've established who that guy was that's at least somewhat explained but then a return of another character came into the mix Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't remember what episode number it was when we reviewed Killer Pinata. The first one. early reviews. Yeah. There was a character in the first movie who wore a purple hat and had a hook for a hand and was just miraculously killed for no reason. She's back. She is miraculously back. And even they had to make mention, like, how did you come back? We know you died. So she tells the story origin of how she got back. And it's something to do with the pinata company that made the killer pinata, that type. 
they were losing a lot of money because nobody wanted to buy their pinatas anymore because of what happened with them. And so the guy, the store clerk, had this book that taught people how to bring back the dead or something. And just he was just tired of uh, losing all of his friends, having no co-workers, nobody taking his job, this, that, and the other. And they said, we could be your friend and we can help you out, this, that, and the other. So basically, she was brought back to life from this book so that she can take those pinatas and bring them back to hell with her. So she's kind of a tweener in this film because she basically makes it known that if anybody gets in her way of her mission, she'll kill them. All right, whatever. So all that goes on because there's one point where they they do rip the pinata in half, the killer pinata, completely tear them apart. And she gets tied up by the woman with the hook and says, I'm going to kill whoever's in my way. And if they're not in my way, they'll survive. But I got to complete my mission. So now the main girl knows that she's got to wake up the pinata and realize, yo, we got a common enemy right now. If we don't stop her, she's going to kill your fucking pinata friend. And she's going to kill my family. So the pinata wakes up and heals. And yeah, they go back to the house. There's at some point where um, the killer pinata, no, the unicorn pinata kills Fred. Finally, they have this big fight. She finally gets her revenge by fucking his eyes out because he tried to uh, kill the main girl's uh, lesbian wife. And eventually she stops him, but it eventually hurts her because she got eviscerated in that battle. The killer pinata is upset that the, uh, whatchamacallit, the unicorn pinata is pretty much dead. And that was his main squeeze, and he gets pissed off. Main girl takes her uh, nail bat and just beats the shit out of Killer Pinata, completely eviscerates him. And the Killer Pinata, like, crawls to the bride and dies. And then the woman with the hook for her hand just grabs uh, the, the pinatas and goes into a portal and then disappears. And the two lesbian girls, they make out, they take the daughter, and they go out for a stroll, and that's Bride of Killer Pinata. I'd like to thank Ray and his friends for uh, introducing us to Killer Pinata, what, two years ago or three years ago when we first started this podcast? It was one of our earlier reviews. Here we are three years later reviewing the fucking sequel. It's become iconic within this podcast more on my side than on yours because the first film was one of the... It, it, it got all the tropes that I really love out of cheesy horror flicks, which is it's self-aware but it doesn't jam it into your face that it is a fucking farce of a movie kind of like Lamageddon, kind of like a suburban sasquatch this movie was more in your face with the comedy there was more practical effects than in the first film which in my opinion hurt that one film what was the film that you showed me not too long ago that i didn't like it was the doll that came to life and was killing all of his uh, owner's people because he was jealous. Oh, uh, Benny Loves You? Benny Loves You, yeah. Uh, what hurt that film was it was too well produced. So, I think this film kind of didn't need the, um, the pinatas to have more movement because what sold me on the first film was that first pinata just... <laughs> it moved so cheesily. 
like is if it was clear as day somebody was holding the, the strings to the pinata and making it move around and I didn't think there were like alright yeah the dick getting thrown into the guy's mouth and killing him was a fucking funny ass kill but to me the best kill in the whole kill pinata franchise will always be the pinata shitting the eggs in the dude's mouth and he's just barfing all over the place similar to that of that character from Team America Hunger, uh, yeah Team America where he's barfing for so goddamn long it's like okay <laughs> or like in Family Guy when they drink Epicac and they just keep vomiting I don't that was still the best kill in the whole franchise I can't say I didn't enjoy this film because I did obviously for all the, the wrong reasons but it definitely was not like the first film the first film was definitely more enjoyable to me um the first film I don't think went a full 90 minutes it was like maybe an hour 20 this movie was what hour and 50 it was almost two hours yeah and way, it was way too long it, and because it was on Tubi with all the commercials that too yeah it definitely was I, I was surprised when we started this film and was about to watch it I was pleasantly sh- shocked that it went two hours I'm like how do you do this film for two hours and yes the original Killer Pinata was an hour and 27 minutes so uh, alright I was going to say this wasn't for me I wasn't crazy about the first one either when we reviewed it and the second one well uh, no this did not work for me brother I don't know. I still had enjoyment out of it. It just wasn't like the first. The first was definitely the charm. And it's still my one of my favorite cheesy horror films of all time. Well, I, um, I really don't have much else to say about Bride of the Killing Pinata. It is currently streaming on Tubi for anyone that wants to check it out. The first one should be on there as well. Yeah. And... Don't expect like the same thing from the first because yeah, they did put a lot more effort into the practical effects of this film. Because the, the dude getting his face ripped off, I'm not going to lie, I did like with the limited effects that they had, how they e- executed it. But, and there were more violent kills in this one, but nothing cheesy like in the first film, like when the dude was getting his dick sucked off and, and then he ripped it off. The only one that was really cheesy was him jerking off the dude's dick and then throwing it into the dude's mouth. I think everything else was kind of like, if I remember correctly, he suffocated one per the Jimmy with a bag using the girl. And that he, he came back, and he came back alive in the end credit scene. Okay, I must have missed because I stopped it after the film went straight to Bride of Kilpinyon and then the credits. But yeah, it was a. Uh, it was a fun film for me, but maybe not for most people. No, it's, this was a drag for me. I'm sorry. Oh, you're a drag. This this did not work for me at all. No. These this franchise of the Killer Pinata, you know, nothing against anyone involved that made it, but this, no, this just wasn't for me. Angry Mule, I still love you. Don't listen to him. <laughs> Just remember, I'm the reason. Uh, I, I wore a shirt to Universal with no shame whatsoever, so you have nothing to worry about. Maybe they have Kill It, Bride of Killer Pinata shirts you can get. <laughs> Maybe. 
But like I said, this film was fine, uh, fun for me, but not as fun as the first. The first is still the best for me. You could wear the Killer Pinata shirt, and your wife, you could wear the bride. Um, she's on the same boat as you. She's not too thrilled with these films, so. <laughs> I think even if I fucking paid her, she'll just slap me across the face. Well, um, any, any, any final thoughts on this film before we head to our next movie? I, like I thumbs said. Up, thumbs um, down, where are your thumbs? Uh, thumbs slightly up. Not, like I said, not as good as the first. It just, it, it didn't have that charm as the first one did. Okay, but still recommendable? To people who like cheesy films, yeah. If you're not into cheesy horror films, if you think horror films should be taken more seriously, then you're obviously not going to like this film. All right, and that's uh, Bride of the Killer Pinata, available on Tubi. To be or not to be. Pinata! Pinata! Yeah, do you know they did no candy deaths in this? Yeah, that's that's where I'm like, eh, they should have had a candy death. Come on. Or seen when they slip on, on jelly beans or something. I don't know. That would have been priceless. But that's that. We're going to head over to our next film. This was a film of your recommendation. This is not a horror movie, but... Every now and then, I don't mind movies like this. We kind of do bend the rules a bit with this podcast when it comes to our movie choices. And today's film we have is called The Iceman, which came out in 2012, rated R, an hour 46 minutes. It stars Michael Shannon as Richard Kuklinski. Correct. Co-starring Chris Evans, Winona Ryder, David Schwimmer, Ray Liotta, James Franco... Uh, Steven Dwarf, Robert Devai, you have a really solid cast here. Yeah. Um, this so is. Why, why did you pick this movie? Well, first off, it's considered a crime thriller film, so I figured it has some relevance to the type of movies that we kind of do here. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I've had a fascination for Richard Kuklinski for quite some time because, in case you're unaware, ladies and gentlemen. Richard Kuklinski was a real-life person. There's some debate about him. So, the first thing's first, he's Polish, like me. Secondly, he lived in Dumont, New Jersey, which is not far from me at all. I can literally, if I drove from here to Dumont, it would take me about 25 minutes. It's very close. The, um, the other thing is, is that there's been debate about him, and... The thing that said is he killed over a hundred people over a span of thirty years. I mean, we're gonna get to the film, but he's a man who killed over hundreds of people in a span of like twenty to thirty years. And most people would say that he's not telling the truth on that because listen, the mafia uh has said, Well, we don't know this guy, this, that, and the other. Well, yeah, no shit they would say that he they would not know him because he eventually got arrested not only that but it's quite interesting that around the time that he died he was supposed to testify against the gambino family so it's like and then he dies and well that's kind of interesting that yeah that that's exactly what happened i mean I would like to think that he wasn't a mafia member per se, but the whole premise of Konklinski was is that he was a guy that you pay me, I will take care of the shit that you need done. Yeah, he was a hitman. He was a hitman. 
He didn't work. He he wasn't a mafia guy. He just did things for the mafia. Yeah, that. he was someone that they hired. That a mafia hired whenever they needed someone dead. We'll hire this guy. So before we get to the premise, was there anything you wanted to say? Um, Goodfellas, I know made mentions of the Gambino family. I, the famous scene, the Shine Box. Mm-hmm. Um, that guy, I can't remember. Uh, Frank, Frank Vincent's the actor. I can't remember the character he was playing in that movie. I'm just drawing a blank right Billy now. Billy Bats. Billy Bats, yes, Billy yeah. Bats. Billy Bats was a made man by the Gambino family. Mm-hmm. That's why when Tommy, Joe Pesci's character, got killed uh, in the movie, Ray Liotta and Robert De Niro's characters basically just had to sit there and do nothing. Because they knew, oh my god, freaking we just killed Billy Bats. If they find out that we were involved in that, we're dead. No questions asked. Yeah. That's why Henry said in the movie, you know, there was, not, there was literally nothing we can do. We just had to sit there and take it. Yeah. So... So the Gambino is a very powerful crime family in, uh, you know, of the Northeast. Right. So that's all I got. Yeah, and if you testify, that's completely escape. But so I heard about this movie being made, and unfortunately, it was released in a limited amount of theaters. And not the- a big budget. Seven. Uh, what was? Let me get the information for the budget. I don't think it was much. No, it wasn't. When you look at the pacing of this film, you can see why. But we'll get to that. Um, Budget supposedly ten million from uh, IMDb. Got it. Well, it makes sense because they got, as you said, a lot of big name actors for this. So the film actually starts off. I was kind of shocked because I saw this movie when it came out. It starts off right as uh, he's uh, at the diner talking to what would be his future wife. I think in the movie they call her. Deborah, yeah, they call her Deborah, but in real life, his wife was called Barbara. Yeah, they did change names around because Goodfellas did the same thing. Yeah, I know. For example, in the movie, he has two daughters, but I think in real life, he had two daughters and a son. So in this movie, he didn't have any son whatsoever. Those were the ones that I did notice that were kind of different. But it starts. It doesn't start off like showing Richard Kuklinski as a child. It starts right when he meets Deborah. We'll just say Deborah because that's the character name. And uh, it's it's an awkward date, but it, it's there's spark there. They kind of like each other. And so yeah, he develops interest for her, and um, then you get to see what he does for a living, which was he he works at a porn dubbing uh, distributing video place whatever and the reason he does this is because he can't he has no education he can't make money elsewhere he has literally no education and now all this there's a, a clip of him uh at a, a billiards table and they're making mention that he's with deborah and he wins a game of pool against one of the guys and the guy like talks shit to him and talks shit about his wife or his future wife and he doesn't sell it at that point but then he goes and slits the guy's throat it is often said in interviews with Richard Kuklinski that um, Richard Kuklinski uh, was bullied a lot and he said that one day he just snapped and, and fucking 
hit somebody with a cue stick but then one day he actually killed somebody so it kind of leads up to that so now eventually um he actually there was one scene i forgot to mention before we get to the uh the diner scene it's a clip of Kuklinski in jail and they ask him do you have any regrets then it goes to that it's it's a key thing yeah so basically the film is kind of told in flashback yes and i and i'll make mention of this by the end but anyways <clears throat> so he has a daughter now and he's obviously holding the daughter and now he's he's feeling some sort of way then there's him at the porn distributing place and then that's when uh ray liotta's character comes in i think his name is roy roy demio um so he comes in and he's just like tearing the place up and he wants his shit done and richard's like well we're seven boxes light and he's like you better have my shit by tomorrow this that and the other or whatever and he's not selling it he's just like whatever he's just like stone-faced about it and the very next day i think there's a point where they they pick him up it's a rainy day there's a homeless man running around asking for change and one of the guys is like telling him to shoot buzz off so then roy tells him yo give him a quarter guy comes back and then as they're talking roy points a gun at richard kuklinski's face and again richard's no selling this guy's like oh you got some fucking eye cold as ice eyes there and he basically says if you want to make some if you really want to prove something to me go kill that homeless man and hands him the gun and before he hands it to him he's like if you're too scared to do it now is the best time to tell me fucking grabs a gun he sits down with the homeless guy and they're about to chill for a minute he's acting like as if he's his friend and then all of a sudden he grabs a gun and shoots him in the stomach and hops in the car and then that's when roy basically tells him all right here's what's gonna happen you only work for me you're not gonna work for anybody else you got it and the thing is all you gotta do is if somebody owes me money and i need them dead i'm gonna call for you you're gonna kill them and you're gonna kill them the way i need you to kill them and i'm gonna pay you so in real life if people don't know this Richard Kuklinski was, as you said, a mob hitman. But the thing that was so unsettling about him was that he's doing all of this. He's making all of his money from this. Meanwhile, his his wife and his kids don't know what he's doing. They have no idea of what his, his life is like in the work world. They don't know how he's making his money. So they had no involvement of his, his business ventures. So he's trying to live a normal, placid life. Meanwhile, he's going out there killing people. Now, these are not great people because these are people that are getting involved with the mob, borrowing money that they shouldn't be borrowing. These aren't great people, but he is killing them nonetheless. That is a true story. And that is how he was able to make a lot of his money. And that's how he was able to afford living in Duma. So now we fast forward about 10 years later he's got two daughters now they're all grown up he's uh applied to them in catholic school so they go to a private school his i don't know if his wife works but she's like a stay-at-home mom i guess 
because that's how he wants it. He wants his wife to be taking care. He his philosophy was when they were looking for an apartment. This is earlier in the film. He's like, we can we can settle for an apartment. She's not. She's a minimalist. She doesn't need all the fancy stuff. But he's like, no, that's not good enough. I want to take care of my wife. My wife needs to be spoiled. So and that's what he did. So now they they fast forward to when they're having dinner with a bunch so, of. People. So this is like the the mid seventies at this point, right? They're having a special dinner with. It's like a big high end dinner, and the big high end dinner is going on. And at one point, they're asking, "What do you do?" And and what is it that he said? Something about how he he looks at stocks or he looks at inflation. Yeah, and, some like that. Some with the stock market. Yeah, and he he just like reports it to his his manager or whatever, and that's how he makes a lot of his money. He gets a lot of his uh, double, or he gets like the five figures from doing all that. That's his. He said he works at like a currency trading company or something. Mm-hmm. And then when they asked him what was his job prior to that, that's where he said he dubbed cartoons. Then they said, oh, cartoons, isn't that another way of saying porn? And then that's when everybody, well, no, the wife was kind of like off-putted, but he uh, divulges the conversation into uh, his children. He's like, ah, here's my children, this, that, and the other. So he pays for the dinner, and the one guy that I guess was his friend was like, yeah, you you never call me anymore, you never talk to me. Like, "Uh, I got a wife, I got kids, and they hug it out, whatever. So... You mentioned David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer's character was uh, Josh Rosenthal. He is, uh, how do I put it? He's not related to Roy, who's like the big mob king, but he was like a kid that Roy took in and treated him like his son. So he obviously, Roy has a special attachment to him. The problem is Josh keeps doing stupid shit. He keeps saying shit like, oh, oh um, I'm Roy's guy. Like, I, I'm, I'm doing this under Roy's uh, advisement. And there's one point where he's doing a drug deal with these Cuban uh, gangsters. And right before they do the deal, he shoots them dead, steals the money and the, the, the drugs that he was going to give them. So now Roy's in a predicament. Because another lead mob boss is saying that you got to kill Josh. And he's pissed. You don't want to kill Josh because he looks at him like a son. And they said, well, you got to do it because your your respect is on the line. And everybody, it's really tension right now. Yeah, and so, I think he's like a representative of the Campino family. Right. He could, be, he could be a made man, I believe, as well. Yeah, he was a made man, or at least he worked for really made men. Mm-hmm. But he's trying to knock some sense into him, like, yo, I understand that you took him in. He's like a son to you, but if you want to survive, you can't, you got to get rid of him. He, he really made your uh, the situation really bad. Meanwhile, we've got uh, Richard Kuklinski, who um, still living his placid life. But there's one point where he goes to jail and visits his brother. And his brother's like saying, ah, oh, you're no better than me. Uh, you belong in the same jail cell as me. And he's like, no, I'm not like you. I got a family, this, that, and the other. And, and there's a point where he's pleading with him, I need your help. I need this, that, and the other. And it just ends in a volatile way, and he just walks away. His brother was committed for something. I can't remember. But I know his brother in real life was in jail for something. 
I killed. Well, on the movie, they say he killed a little girl. That's right. In the movie, I'm not sure what he was in jail for in real life. But so, anyways, um, Richard's still doing his deeds. There's one part where um, James, yeah, James Franco's character is doing some sort of video with an underage girl. She's 17. But meanwhile, he owes money to Roy. So obviously, Richard breaks in and uh, makes uh, James Franco's name is Marty call up Roy and, and tell him, oh, I don't know anything about uh, what Josh did. Oh, no, it, it wasn't money. It was something that Josh did or whatever. And so he gives the phone to Richard and Richard takes the phone and was instructed to kill him. And so Richard's about to kill him. And he's like, oh, no, please, dear God. No, 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 please, dear God. Um, And Richard's just like, you think God's going to save you in this instance? Tell you what, I'm going to just sit right here. If Let God try and change the circumstances right now. So he just sits there and waits. And the guy's like pleading, pleading, pleading. And then that's when Richard gets up and says, I guess God's busy. Fucking shoots him and kills him. All of a sudden he hears something and it's a girl in a closet. And um, the girl in the closet's like just shaking this and the other. And he's like, yo, let, let's get the fuck out of here. Then we get to Chris Evans's character who plays uh, Robert Mr. Freezy. He uh, grabs Richard Kuklinski and puts him into his uh, his ice cream truck and says, we got to chase her down. He saw us. She saw us. But Richard has a rule. No women, no children. He doesn't ever kill women. He doesn't kill children. This guy's like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to go chase her, and then they go chase her, and he fucking puts a gun to his head and says, yo, you better stop this fucking car right now. <clears throat> it is what it is. So then we get to uh, a meeting between Roy, Richard, and uh, Josh, and he basically says, yo, no more hits, no more nothing. You don't work. You're you Consider this you being laid off because we can't do anything until things cool off. So now Richard's pissed. There's one point in particular where he it's clear as day he's not working as much. He's visiting his daughters at an ice rink. It's one point where he's uh, driving her, the, the girls either to school or from cheerleading practice or whatever. And he accidentally hits, rear ends somebody. And the guy just basically motherfucks him, says, fuck you. And then they go into a road rage car chase. And he's just like losing his mind. And then Richard is in his um, his house watching TV and his wife, Deborah is just like, yo, what's what's going on with you? This, that, and the other. And eventually he snaps, breaks everything, but then comes to the realization that all he cares about is the wife and the kids. That's all he cares about. They did show flashbacks of his youth when he was being abused by his parents. I thought that was very vital because that's what's led to Richard Kuklinski being what he is. His mm-hmm. parents were not loving at all. They abused the fuck out of him. And it was said that he was, he had the personality trait of somebody who was very daring. I forget what they call it. It's somebody that if you are ingrained with this personality, you will do daredevil shit, like ride airplanes or, or fixed light poles, stuff that people the only certain people can do because they're brave enough 
and they could become productive people if they're in a loving uh, household with loving parents. But if not, like in Richard Kuklinski, you get what you get. So, keep fast forwarding. It, it goes years on in. <clears throat> There's eventually a scene where Roy uh, unfortunately kills uh, Josh because at this point it's like, yo, you, you fucked too much shit up, this, that, and the other. Richard gets desperate because he's not making any money. He goes and visits Mr. Freezy and decides he's going to work for him and do some more deeds. But while he does that, he notices that girl that ran out of the house. He eventually caught up with her and left her in the fucking freezer. But it was from Mr. Freezy that he learned of certain kills. So there's one point where he gets uh, told you will get paid 50 grand if you kill uh, Roy's, uh, what was it, one of his henchmen. Because the, the guy that warned him about Josh and all that stuff, he got into a big scuffle match with him and wanted that guy dead. So that's when Mr. Freezing introduced him to cyanide poisoning. And this is one of Richard's uh, methods of killing in real life, which was he would either put it in your burger or he would let it drop into your soup. And it would kill you. It was used in gas chambers. And I remember a doctor in one of Richard Kuklinski's uh, documentaries said, unless it's specifically sought out in an autopsy, if somebody dies from cyanide poisoning, we can just assume it was natural causes or heart attack or whatever. So he goes to a club. And what he does is he s pretends to sneeze on that guy, but he sprays the cyanide poison. And that's when the guy dies of a heart attack or whatever leaves and then somebody notices him from there that's that's what i was just holding down for right there he got noticed he got noticed and then that said you know i've never done a public killing like this yeah and so that's when roy found out so at one of his daughter's birthdays roy comes to the house and has him come into his car and says i know you killed him and i know you're working for mr freezy and he says the next time i fucking see you I'm going to fucking kill you and your whole entire family. Now get the hell out of my car, you fucking Polak. I can say it. I'm Polish. So <clears throat> he's now tense because he knows that it, it, it's going to be short time comings from here. And now he's paranoid. So anyways, the next he's trying to collect his debt, his $50,000 that he was owed. And the guy basically told him, I'm not giving you shit because you got noticed. If you would have not gotten noticed, you would have gotten 50 grand. Just consider the fact that I'm not here to kill you. And so <clears throat> when he said life is pretty unpredictable and Richard's like, you're damn right. And he fucking killed him, stole all this shit and left. Yeah. And the way he said it to him, it, it almost came off like a threat towards Richard. Yeah. And that's what Richard's like, oh, hell no. But yeah. That, but killing him was a big mistake because like I said, he's a made man by the Gambinos. Yes. Now it's like, ah, oh, fuck. Now, now you dug yourself a hole you may never get out of. But here's, the, yeah, I mean, that's technically not where his downfall theoretically was. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. He then meets up with Mr. Freezy, and Mr. Freezy's now cut his hair, and he's in hiding because, like, the newspapers are reporting all these killings. And uh, he eventually gets paranoid and kills Mr. Freezy. Because he thinks that Mr. Freezy... He knows where he lives and he never told him where he lives. So he thinks that he's after him. So there you go. There's another one. Eventually, 
Richard Kuklinski meets up with this guy who wants to um, get involved and wants to get involved with like cyanide and killing and all that stuff. So Richard's willing to help him out. So here's where I, I thought this was an interesting tidbit that I didn't pick up on at the time. But when I rewatched it for this movie review, it was like, ah, oh, now it makes sense. So we're getting close to the end of the film. So he's got to go meet up with this guy or whatever. His wife is sick. So I guess he was going to take her to the doctor. But meanwhile, he was going to deliver sandwiches, which were laced with cyanide. And they were going to go do a hit or whatever. I don't know if he was going to kill that guy or another guy or whatever. A cat randomly walks up. And I didn't realize this, but he's feeding the cat, quote unquote, cyanide infected peanut butter. He's like, there you go. I thought he was just being nice. But then he lets the his wife into the car and he's about to drive off. But before he drives off, he sees the cat and the cat's perfectly fine. Cat's still running around. And he's like, something ain't right. That's when I picked up on it. Like he fed the cat what he thought was cyanide poison peanut butter, but this cat's still walking around. And as soon as he's trying to back up, that's when the fucking police are just surrounding him and they arrest him. And the wife's just like, like what the hell's going on here so that guy that he wanted to do kills with was an undercover cop yep that's really where his downfall was he got caught so <clears throat> and the reason he was in that position because he got desperate for money he got desperate for money and he was much older and was slipping yep one thing I forgot to mention was Richard Kuklinski in real life, what he was doing, and they did explain this in the movie, was when he would kill people, he would lock them in a freezer and leave them there for years and then leave their bodies elsewhere because it, it, the, the police, when they would get the body after it's thawed, they can't get a time of death because the body was frozen. So they're left confused. So... So the very end of the film, after he gets arrested... It goes right back to that very first scene when he was asked, do you have any regrets? Now, you may not know this, but there's a document, there's a couple documentaries out there of Richard Kuklinski, and there's one of him that was released in 1990. And literally, Michael Shannon, word for word, mimics the exact wording that Richard Kuklinski used in that documentary at the very end of the 1990 documentary, where he basically says, I have no regrets. I'm not sorry for anything I've done other than hurt my family. And he goes into a spiel where he's like, oh boy, I'm not going to make this one. Ah, I'm not, I'm lo looking for forgiveness. I'm not repenting, but I do want my family to forgive me. Um, this would not be me. And even though you see the Iceman crying and it's not very macho, but the thing is, I've heard people that mean everything to me and the only people that mean everything to me. It literally, Michael Shannon, who played the role of Richard Kuklinski, said it word for word. Nothing was changed. The only thing that was changed was how he executed the lines, but every word was the same. And while all that's going on, they do show a clip of him in court pleading guilty. And then you see her just like completely flabbergasted along with her daughters, knowing that their father's a murderer. And that's the Iceman. This was very good, in my this opinion. This was very good. I love this film. It's a very underrated film. I think Michael Shannon 
even though he's not as stocky as Richard Kuklinski was, he is definitely as tall as he was. And he fucking knocked this out of the park. In my opinion. He was very good. Had it not been for you telling me about this, I never would have seen this. Yeah. I've had interest in Richard Kuklinski for years. So, um, just the mere fact that he was able to get away with killing for 30 years and never get caught. And most people would question it that he didn't kill that many people. I actually believe he did because if you watch him in interviews, he speaks so matter-of-factly and doesn't go too into details, but enough details that would get you to think he's telling the truth. And again, it's like, <clears throat> how does a guy who has no education whatsoever is able to give his family such a great life for so many years? Like literally you could see home family photos and videos of the family together. They're living in a middle-class life. And he has no education and he's the only one working. Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, keep in mind, this is the 60s and 70s. Yeah, it's very similar to the lifestyle that Henry Hill is able to live. He, he dropped out of school to be with the mafia. And that's what Richard Kuklin... He didn't graduate high school, I don't think. Yeah. And that they always say in the, in the Republican side of things, there's three things in life that you need to do in order to not live in poverty, which is graduate high school, get a job, and don't have kids before wedlock. And this motherfucker didn't graduate high school. He got a job, but it was a low-paying job. I do believe he did do this for a living. Did he do it every day? No, he probably killed one person, would get paid like 80 grand, and that would set him for the year. You wouldn't have to fucking work. You wouldn't have to kill another person. You can get, as one cop said, sometimes he would kill months apart, sometimes he would kill years apart. Yeah, and keep this in mind too, 80 grand for one kill in the year 1972, let's just say, 80 grand would be more than sufficient for a middle-class family at that time. Yeah. Way more than, in fact, I would think that 80 grand in 1972 would probably be high end. So if he kills like, let's say three people that year and gets paid 80 grand a piece, and keep in mind, we're just throwing numbers. But Richard has said that when I did a kill, he had to be paid at least five figures. Because he wasn't going to work for peanuts if he's going to do these kills. If he's going to do it, it's going to be worth his while. So I do believe he did it because there's no way that a man with his education status could, from working in a porn video store, not a video store, but a video dubbing company, that he's making peanuts all of a sudden can get his family to live in a middle class. And keep in mind, he's got a wife and three kids. I think he did it, personally. Yeah, I believe it. And the fact that you see how he was raised in his real life, even though the movie doesn't really explain it all that well, they only show like a small flashback of it. You start to understand how cold this guy was. And if not for Richard Kuklinski, who's the Iceman, that's how we got Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was Steve Austin watching a documentary, probably the same one I watched of him, where he was watching it and he was coming up with a nickname and Vince McMahon thought of Chili McFreeze. Oh yeah, 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 all those ideas. Frosty McFreeze, yeah. Yeah, and then his wife, who was a British woman at the time, came up to him and said, oh, dear, have your tea before it gets stone cold. That's how he got it and it was 
inspired off of Richard Kuklinski. Wow. I was, when I first heard that this movie was being made, I was excited because Richard Kuklinski just intrigues me in a way. And I think this movie did not disappoint. Even though I think the only thing that was missing was it should have delved more into his childhood to really give you a full grasp of what made him so cold. Because it's not like this is a film, like a Michael Myers film where it's all fantasy. This is a real person. This is based on a person's real life story. And yeah, maybe Richard's not the most redeemable guy because he killed so many people. But it gives you an idea of what set his mind to do what he did. Everybody did their roles great. James Franco was great. Winona Ryder was great. Mike I thought Chance. Chris Evans was great. This is definitely one of the more... This is probably the darkest role I've ever seen him do. Yeah, Chris Evans was great. Ray Liotta, David Schwimmer. Everybody did their roles perfect. There was not one person that I was put off by or anything like that. This is a great film. Honestly, I would have been okay if this movie went another 20 minutes. Yeah, and, and dedicate that 20 minutes to his childhood. Just focus on his childhood. Give, give like a little insight of his parents and how abusive they were. Because that would be like if you do a movie on Charles Whitman and you don't focus on the abuse that his father gave him that led to him going into that clock tower and shooting people. So that's essential. So I'm going to assume your thumbs are way up for this one. Oh, yeah. And, and it could be biased. The, the other thing is, I don't know if people will like the pacing of this film because the pacing is unique. The thing is, I feel like when it comes to gangster films, I don't know if you would consider this a gangster movie. In a way it is, but not in a sense of like a Goodfellas. If you set it to those standards, I feel like you're going to be disappointed. I feel like you're setting yourself up because it's not that kind of movie. Yeah, it's... It's not really because he did not... He was not really in the mob. He just did things for the mob. He was hired by the mob to do certain things. And because he's Polish, I guess that's where my bias comes in. I'm Polish myself, so... That's probably why he was never in the mob, because he's Polish. And I know the mob got to be like... Italian. Italian. And to be a made man, you got to be fully 100% Italian. Yeah... And also keep in mind, he didn't want his family involved in his affairs. Mm-hmm. He wanted his family completely out of it. So that was always different about him. But yeah, in my opinion, this film is very, very good. Again, the only thing that might put people off is if you're looking at it from a mafia movie standpoint, or if you're looking at it from a pacing standpoint, because the pacing is unique, it's different. It's not like there's like a build up, build up, build up, and then he gets arrested. It's just more like scene, 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 and then he just gets arrested. It's a different pace to his other films or to other films in this type of genre. So yeah, I, I love this film. I really enjoyed it. Everybody did great. I enjoyed it even more this time around. So yeah, thumbs are up for sure. Your thumbs are up. My thumbs are up. Um, I do recommend this movie. Uh, it's currently on Peacock. I think it's on Tubi as well. I, I yeah. always, it's always streaming somewhere. Yeah, I even have the DVD for it. Oh wow! Oh yeah, you really love this movie then. Well, um, I bought the DVD when it came out, so mm-hmm. it's not like I bought it recently. But I'm happy, you know, that we uh, 
I, I don't mind reviewing movies like this every now and then on the podcast. Change it changes it up a bit. There were some horror elements, like when he kills James Franco's character. That definitely was horror esque. Mm-hmm. That definitely was haunting, and and just the mere fact of how he did his kills. There's literally one scene in particular where he takes somebody and wrap, wraps a noose around him and and hovers like he, he chokes him like as if he's carrying a bag. Yeah, it's pretty freaking horrifying. Some of the kills he does. Yeah, man, on a relatively small budget. I mean, I understand you know gangster movies are not what they used to be. I mean, they used to be the big box office draws, but mm-hmm. we never really had that big gangster, I guess, hit in a very long time. Maybe other than what was it, The Irishman on Netflix? On Netflix, yeah, it was probably the last big budgeted one because I think that that had like a budget of a hundred million. Oh, which is like for a gangster movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you keep in mind who was in it: Robert De Niro. De Niro, yeah. True. <clears throat> but even with this, I mean, Chris Evans, this was like right in the middle of his Marvel phase, and and he did this in be- in in between that. Yeah. And probably, I'm pretty sure he's like, wow, this is something different. I get to play a, almost like a cleaner of sorts. I play a, a hitman, and it's yeah. dark. And yeah, I, I bet that's what intrigued him. Yeah. Like I said, it's a pretty boy. It, it's a very fascinating film. And I would recommend after you watch this film, watch some documentaries on Richard Kuklinski. They are interesting. Yeah, I think there is a HBO documentary. It was made back in '93, though. I don't know if it's uh, if it's available anywhere on him. Yeah, there's some on YouTube. The one that I've watched that got me to know about him is definitely on YouTube. I watch it every uh, so often just because it's haunting. Just how he tells his stories, like the one story where he, the the story he tells where he talks about uh oh please dear God and then gives him 30 minutes to pray to God and then he tells another story about one of the guys told him he wanted. One of the guys to that needed to owe money, he wanted Richard to cut off his tongue and shove it up his ass. Jesus. Yeah. And he would do shit like that. And it doesn't haunt him. Well, I guess that's a, that's the kind of mindset you need to do a job like that. Yeah. Especially if you're going to do some horrific shit like that. Yeah. But I think that's going to do it for this episode of Fractured Skulls. Uh, Iceman, Killer Pinata 2... Both films are available on Tubi. Uh, Iceman is also available on Peacock. I would recommend that because you skip all the commercials. Yes. And uh, like I said, two very different films. Different is putting it lightly. But that's uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Fractured Skulls. For Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. Um, you think they'll make another Kill Pinata sequel? I hope to God, the son of Killer Pinata. Oh, the son! Oh no! Or, or the gender fluid of Killer Killer Pinata. It'll be a blue, white, and pink colored Pinata. Oh yeah, the trans flag and all that stuff. <laughs> Great. Oh Jesus! Don't give them any more ideas. <laughs> <laughs>